What makes a good film? Does a film that represents a neglected community immediately make it good? Or do we only end up looking at its social impact and thus ignoring its other strengths? Shang-Chi featuring Simu Liu was hailed as another film that featured Asians in a media landscape that has traditionally emphasized white faces. Heralded as the first Asian-American superhero film in the West, it was also the first film during the corona period to break the $200 million earning threshold in North America, and it has since become the largest Labor Day weekend box office release ever. But this begs the question, was Shang-Chi actually good? I bring on returning superstar Chris to zip around a multitude of topics and much, much more, such as who is my celebrity friend, our favorite parts of the film, aspects that we didn't like, and how would a westernized Asian fare in East Asia in 2022? So I constantly tell people that my famous celebrity friend is Simu Lu. And the reason I tell people this is because I've actually sent him an Instagram message and he responded. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean we're actually friends. But <laughs> in terms of gloating, <laughs> I tell people me and Simu Lu have have exchanged messages, we've exchanged opinions, we've chatted online, and thus he qualifies as a friend. So oh my gosh. In a sense, it's I'm not really lying because we have chatted online. Well, what can I can I ask more about the context? Was it when was this? Was this before or after Shang-Chi, before or after Kim's convenience? This was during Kim's convenience, but okay. before Shang-Chi was released. So I'm pretty sure he was announced as the, but the film had not come out. And the article or the podcast, I forgot what it was, was something about uh, Shang-Chi is good for the community, for the Asian community. However, it's not enough to tackle other issues, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a great premise. And Maybe this is something we'll talk about later on. It's yeah. unfair to expect Shang-Chi to fix all the problems, right? It's it's I unfair totally for any piece of that. art. Yeah, and it's unfair on Simu Liu, on the director. But I thought it was an interesting article and I sent it towards Simu Liu and his response, funny enough, was like, hey man, I don't think I have time to read this, but can you summarize it for me? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, I can, Mr. Celebrity. So yeah, by the way, Simbulu, if you want to jump on this podcast, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, way yeah, you're I'm listening to this. I'm so tired. I'm sure Stanley would love a change, not that you're special or anything. <laughs> and uh, actually, since I'm giving a shout out to Simbulu, Jackson Wang, Kate Blanchett, if you want to jump on, there's zero chance that you're listening to this. But in the... 0.00001% chance you are for some reason listening to this. Um, send me a message and your bank details, and I'll get you. We, we went straight from other Asian Americans to basic celebrity crush. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, I did have actually quite a big uh, celebrity crush on Kate Blanchett, and it was a hundred percent because of this interview she did for this Australian talk show. Uh, okay. I think it's called Enough Rope. 
And that was really the first time I actually saw her speak. And she was just so fluent and so eloquent. And I actually think that was part of the reason, like that image or that video cemented itself in my brain. And a few years later, I think that's actually why I started a podcast. Or one of the reasons I started it, because I just got so much joy from that discussion and exchange of ideas. And I felt that I could replicate something similar to that. Okay. I mean, while you were talking about that, that's phenomenal. In my head, I was just thinking my Australian celebrity crush has to be Nicole Kidman. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. she was, I I think she was a little older for me in the sense that when I was like a child, she was very popular, but I was like 10 years old. So yeah, I I don't think I had a big, actually, if anything, Kate Blanchett might actually be older than Nicole Kidman. I'm just a big fan of how she Uh speaks, Kate Blanchett. (laughs) So yeah, but to the topic at hand. So the reason I wanted to talk about Shang-Chi was, I guess it's a big moment for the community and it is quite popular. So I feel like a lot of people have watched it and can relate or can understand some of the concepts that we're talking about. And I'm going to repeat something that I actually repeat in a lot of my lessons because I'm also an English teacher. (laughs) This is something that I I genuinely say to my students, and I've done it a few times, I've done it this year, I've done it previously, and it's actually a quote from Simu Lu. So I want to start with this and then, you know, get your opinion, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So Simu Lu is doing an interview with some person that isn't me. So Simu Lu, you can correct this anytime. <laughs> but Simu Lu is doing this interview with someone. And then he says Marvel heroes or superheroes in many ways are the 21st century equivalent of Greek gods. And as soon as he said that, I paused it and I said, you know, in many ways that's true. And it actually points at something deeper than that. Because what he's trying to say is that these stories are no longer just stories in many ways, they shape the cultural consciousness and they shape ideas of good, villainy, morality, aesthetics. It, it shapes the collective discussion. And I think that's why he mentioned that. Because we think about Superman and uh, Spider-Man or Thor, whoever. I mean, Thor is basically a god and they represent, they fill the positions that these gods used to fill. Yes, I mean, there's two parts to that. My instinct when you said this was actually that I've had this exact same thought. Um, not, I've had the exact same thought to, to the idea that they are sort of our modern day Greek Greek myths. Where because I was reading, I was reading the Iliad with with a friend. Like after this is like I don't know after we graduated from college, and obviously we had no like no sort of environment or or any sort of instruction on how to read it i'm just reading it and obviously you have all these heroes we have no idea who any of them are they all have their own backstories and then after we kind of understood that's what it was it was like okay this is like we're we're like watching the avengers and like without having seen any of their origin stories of course we're not really going to make heads or tails out of it and so that was Mm. my my first understanding was like oh it's kind of like the avengers you know like like the iliad is the avengers but we we haven't seen iron man so we really don't know what who this Iron Man character is and what he does. So obviously we're not having a good time. And I imagine if, if you kind of walked into the Avengers without having seen any other Marvel movies, you'd also be very confused. And um, actually that is what I did. I'm not a big fan of superhero films, barring maybe Batman. 
because there's less punching and more conversation, I guess. But yeah, I actually came into Shang-Chi really unsure because I think I've watched The Avengers and I only watched it because everyone was talking about it and I just wanted to understand what the hype was. I didn't really expect to enjoy it that much and it was it was okay, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember it. Anyway, so yeah, so as you were saying that you ha- that was one of your thoughts about the Greek God conversation. That was the initial thought. Yes. And then more to your point. I think I think I quite agree. I think it's the Marvel movies are a big, a huge cultural phenomenon. And and I think like, I mean, people can mock them all they want, say it's not good filmmaking. Scorsese can say whatever he wants, but at the end of the day, it's like Scorsese will say they're not films, they're they're visual entertainment. But at the end of the day, they are they are a huge cultural phenomenon. They, they certainly are shaping very much of the way many people see see the world, see see good and bad. And I mean, obviously, it's it makes a lot of sense that it's just like a very Western American centric sort of vision of the world. But there's also little bits of little bits of there are there are there is some self awareness in a lot of it too, which is really nice. And. Talking about Scorsese, if anyone doesn't know, and we won't get into a big tangent about this because we, this entire podcast could be about that concept, but Scorsese's idea was that these superhero films are not films because they emphasize spectacle, so like mm-hmm. punching and music and grandiose pictures rather than ideas that or themes that he's used to with his films and his generation of films, such as suspense or tension. If you watch like Taxi Driver or Raging Bull or, you know, some other films, it just doesn't have to be old films from the 70s or 80s, but Mm -hmm. they emphasize like suspense more than a huge spectacle. And I think that's why he uses the comment of these Marvel films or these superhero films are like theme yeah. parks and, and then i think risk is another part of it that he really um, had an issue with right mm. that, that there's there's sort of the, the product of it like just a entertainment complex and like it's just i mean once again this brings in the idea of like if it can be art if it's made for money and it's a lot of people but that that's something he also takes anyway mm. won't jump into that it's fascinating but you know that would take the entirety of this podcast so just for anyone listening this is your one and only what's the right word this is the only time i'll be telling you spoilers mm-hmm. so if you haven't watched shang chi come in at your own risk if you have or you don't really care you know stick around and enjoy mm-hmm. there's something else i also want to mention before we jump into the meat of this story and then after i want to get your i remember you were saying something about like some of the records, the box office records that this <laughs> Shang-Chi movie broke or it meant. But before I do that, I just want to say I have a friend who I guess he's into this Marvel stuff, I, I'm assuming. I think he's watched most, or if not every one of them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so he's not Asian. He's not East Asian, not Southeast Asian. But I remember afterwards, and I think this links to the previous comment of the Greek gods and how these films shape cultural consciousness and they form our ideas of morality, which is why the Asian community, I guess, was so excited to see their face upon this tapestry of of morality or, or mm-hmm. represented in the collective consciousness of of society. But he, he said something which is very interesting to me. He said, and I know he's joking, but he said, hey, man, like after watching Simu Lu ride, ride a water dragon for 30 minutes, I respect you a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, 
it's it's a joke but i think right. what that i think the underpinning message is he had never seen an asian or in this i guess in this specific narrative an asian male take the lead and there was part of him which after watching it was like yo these this culture this these people they can i guess be the protagonists in a story and yes his joke was a joke but i i think he wouldn't have said that joke if the film was like trash or like if if it was just you know horrible no yeah yeah i agree i think there's a large like there's something to be said about once again the idea of a culture being able to accept this right like the idea of oh you know like an asian man an asian lead we can't have this and the idea of also that a large studio system is willing to invest in a film like this and expect to sort of make their money back right and like it legitimizes the asian american community as as a market and Mm -hmm. so i I think on both ends i i yes i agree Mm -hmm. i think so uh, yeah oh sorry no go on no i like i mean i I was gonna go on say a little bit like how how it's sad that to in order to be legitimized or be heard it's like to it's that aha there's a market there's a potential for that but but yeah it's it's exciting in its own way too i I think that's a really good point do we need these studios to show our faces in order to feel accepted and that was something that me and a friend or a friend and i uh, were speaking about previously and i think logically quote-unquote logically the answer is no you don't need a big company to show someone who looks like you so that you can feel like you're part of the cultural consciousness however humans are emotional and our understanding of the world is emotional it's not always logical and my friend who is not i remember him coming to me at one point he's like hey stan i know previously like asian community has always wanted to be a big part of of the artistic world in in the western world and and then he said you know i used to think that was kind of lame because why do you need to see your own face in order to feel accepted and then he said but i can see in emotionally why that holds weight and he says even though logically i still don't think that's you know essential i'm mm-hmm. approaching it from a position of like x x's and o's like a formula like a quadratic equation and i may be missing the emotional aspect of seeing this i think for me personally i think our generation actually has already been a little bit spoiled by the by a certain degree of asian representation on the big screen so for me personally it what it the, the oomph didn't hit as hard but i think mm-hmm. for maybe those who grew up maybe like maybe 10 just 10 years before i did you know would would appreciate that a lot more and this would be a moment for them mm-hmm and uh, I won't go into any more about this because, like I said, it's going <laughs> to completely derail this podcast. But I think a lot of the younger generation, especially people younger than us, they don't really rely upon Hollywood to show them Asian faces like right. K-dramas, K-pop or just J-music or, you know, Taiwanese films or, you know, what whatever it is. They rely upon Asian media and asian media companies to show them asian faces so i think hollywood in a way is tapping to something a little late because i feel like the community has already moved to asia mm-hmm. in terms of wanting their representation 
Wait, sorry. Did, did you say we're moving past this point? We're we're going to talk too much more on this point, or this was? If if you want to if you want to mention something on this, yeah, please. Oh, do. Okay, okay, no, because I I think we have had this this conversation where you and I differed a little bit. I think we actually we've come back to this a little bit where you think that these sort of Asian faces or Asian media from non-Western um, back, like countries is can be sort of substitute in a way. And I, I, off, I argued very much for the, the like an Asian American production of, of our own, as opposed to like, like a Wong Kar Wai or like, or, or a Taiwanese art house or, or a K-pop. I, for me, I think it's very important that it's, it's Asian American or, or Asian Western as opposed to Asian Asian. And, mm-hmm. and I think that for, for me, the, the distinction is, I think it's still, it's still very different having something that's Asian American versus like, like a K-pop. I, I agree with that in theory, but I think there just isn't enough money. There just isn't enough <laughs> good stuff coming out of yeah. the Western Asian community, the artistic community that, I think a lot of Asians, me included, like I would rather watch a Bong Joon-ho film than, I don't know, Crazy Rich Asians. So maybe that's not a fair example because that film was, I didn't think was very good. But what I'm just trying to say is I think Asia, Asia mm-hmm. is producing better art. And thus, if I had to go to a place to find a representation of me, I would prefer Asia, Asia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think maybe we actually haven't had this discussion, but I've imagined us having it. I, I did actually write something. No, we have. No, we have. Okay, this okay, discussion. okay. All right, so let's not go too much more into it. We, we could definitely talk too much about this. But mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, cool. So, box office. Let's give the audience a context of how Shang-Chi did. Yeah, I mean, Shang-Chi, it wasn't spectacular per se, but Shang-Chi did it it, it was a, it was a coronavirus film lots of people didn't want to go but a corona era film to break the 200 million milestone in canada the u.s and the largest labor day weekend opening for canada the u.s so mm-hmm. like smash some records in its own right as, as marvel come in terms of marvel films it's it's on the smaller end i think it sits in between like thor and like below thor and above like eternals which which i'm thankful for but but yeah so i mean it's, it's definitely one of the smaller marvel films but Definitely not a box office flop, and I would say it, it made back whatever whatever its budget was for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess let's just talk about how we felt towards this film. So there's a lot of preamble where we actually didn't even focus on the film, but like the repercussions, the cultural repercussions mm-hmm. of the film. I guess I want to start by emphasizing one more thing before I mm-hmm. say what I felt. And I know this is something that you agreed. It is unfair for the community, for anyone to expect Shang-Chi and Simu Lu to undo all the flaws or all the negatives or heal everything in the community through a single representation. And there's no way that he's going to represent every single Asian face mm-hmm. at all. Like just no way, there's no way you can do that in two hours. So just want to put that out there. But I didn't really enjoy this film and I maybe I came into it with a lot of expectations because I'm like, oh hey, it's an Asian face, and and mm-hmm. a lot of my friends are like, oh, it's really good. I came in thinking like, oh, this is going to be amazing, and I'll touch upon this later. The first fifteen minutes to me were fantastic, like I really enjoyed it, but it sort of died out. So, 
What was your opinion of this film as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think it felt shy of expectations, but just just shy of expectations. I think my expectations weren't huge in the first place. It's it's a Marvel film. It's an Asian American Marvel film, but there are really really cool Marvel films, and like that aren't just cool for for the Easter eggy elements, right? There, they're just good movies in and of themselves. Like the like the Iron Man movies really kicked off the, the series. Those are great. Like there have been great Marvel films great storytelling and i think with the recent marvel movies i'm i think shang chi has has some issues and it's just like i think marvel is beginning to try very hard to not tell them as individual stories once again and more as try to just jigsaw them together into their their pantheon of of heroes and i think that i think was, was a big was one of was one of my complaints with it it's just the mm-hmm. story itself i think wasn't wasn't as developed as it could could have been. Like, mm. I guess we can go go more into that later. But but yeah, but like, but it did a lot of things right. There were a lot of things I was scared of. I think one of the one of the f- things I was really really scared of was that I thought it was going to pitch Shang Chi as Asian American versus his father as like Asian Asian, right? As like mm-hmm. that was going to be like a conflict, which I was terrified of because that I mean, like, obviously I spent the entire podcast talking about how I view Asian Americans as distinctive from Asian Asian. But I also think it's very dangerous for to set up that that dichotomy, especially at a time when when China is not on the West's good side, to say that, okay, well, look, we have an Asian American and he's gonna beat the Asian Asian and this is this is our movie. Like this is the cultural good and bad from now on, right? So I mean Do you think it did that or, or no, do you I, think I, it, I think it, it avoided that. I think it avoided okay. that. And I, I was very scared it was going to do that. And they were like, I was scared of a lot of very cringy sort of callbacks to various Asian tropes. Like, I don't know, like a mother with a slipper or like, oh, you might get a B. <laughs> like, I mean, there there was none of that. There was, it, there was a, there were some little aspects, but they were very, very nuanced, very, very well done. Like, I don't know if you remember at the, one of the opening scenes when Sean goes to Katie's house and mm-hmm. like he takes off his shoes, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know, yeah, but like it's just very very subtle. He just goes and takes off his shoes, and like I was like, okay, this is like a they didn't like a, like camera like dolly and zoom into that and, and make a big note, <laughs> you know, it was like okay, he took off his shoes, like that's it. If you notice, you notice. If you didn't, nah. like there were many sort of aspects like that where it was it was done very subtly and like yeah, it wasn't cringe. You know, talking about the shoe experience. This is going to be something from my personal life, but I, I'm not sure about you, Chris, but I genuinely had no idea what to do when I was in Western families. Like for a long period of time, I, I was like, wait, do I take off my shoes? Do I not take off my shoes? Like they're walking in the house with their shoes. But like for me, and I'm I'm glad this wasn't a big thing in Shang-Chi, but I like, yeah, there were moments where like, I had no idea what to do. And um, (laughs) actually... Another thing which which comes back to me. So I went to a school with, I guess, quite a lot of Italians. Mm-hmm. And kissing, like, on the cheek is a big thing. Oh, uh, even in Australia. Uh, yeah, because there's okay. a big Italian community. And, and well, you know, that's prohibited <laughs> in East Asia. You know, right. you go up to, like, a random, like, auntie Mwah! and just give her a kiss yeah, on the yeah, cheek. Yeah. You know, completely, you know, hands off. So 
I remember like being put in situations there and, and just, just the like Einstein level gymnastics, like mathematics <laughs> I was doing in my head. Like, wait, do I, is it rude? Is it not rude? Everyone's doing it, but would they think that? And yeah, anyway, so I actually do like, when you talk about like the slippers or taking off the shoes, that's something that does come to my head. So I thought the first 15 minutes or the first 20 minutes, and I'm not sure if this is a sentiment that you think, but I've thought everything up to the fight on the bus. So including the fight on the bus was fantastic. Really, really absorbed, really enjoying it. And there was small things like, as you said, taking off the shoes, which like it's clearly asian but doesn't really draw attention to itself which i'm glad Mm -hmm. uh, as you said but i thought things started to die down a little or lose steam when they went to macau or something or hong kong or something like that in order to find the sister character and then they threw themselves uh into like this tournament and the fact that like simulu had to fight his sister Honestly, it just broke a lot of immersion for me because it it just felt so, like, easy. Yeah, I mean, one little aspect I, I also, a small bone I have to pick with the entire back to Asia aspect is, like, the back to Asia aspect, you know, like, the <laughs> go back to China. I mean, mm-hmm. o- obviously, there there's, it's, I, I think, like, I've been back to China and had my own sort of, like, I like realization of identity and stuff and i, I think that it, that is important but like the i think for a lot of western audiences and seeing like how the rest of the film effectively takes place in asia is like ugh. but yes i would agree for the first for the very actually for the first like 10 minutes i don't think there was any english like a, a lot of the, I, well i mean or at least for the first little bit i just felt like all the dialogue was in chinese oh i don't remember that yeah it, it was it, it kind of struck me as like wow there's just like a a lot of oh you I, are right because right? it shows tony leong as in like i don't know two thousand years ago and how he was just like beating people and, and that was in chinese right yeah it yeah was, it was okay 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 I, I wasn't mistaken yeah and so like i was like okay i mean like this, this is kind of cool but okay and but yeah and then like like i said all the good aspects many of the good aspects like yeah you know shout out to karaoke that's great shout out to like, I also like the beginning of it, right? Like, it really sets up, like, the idea of, oh, you know, anyone can be Shang-Chi. Like, you, mm-hmm. unambitious bellboy, you can also be Shang-Chi. <laughs> and, like, I mean, I think that's a big part of it, like, the sort of hero fantasy yeah. thing. But, yes, I fully agree. I think the beginning part was great. The bus fight scene was, like, was a good mix of, like, Marvel plus the sort of, like, Jackie Chan-esque martial arts using, like, various features of the landscape to, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to comedic effect sometimes mm-hmm. i can see why they use the bus fight as like the main trailer slash promo because i thought that was by far and this is both praise and criticism i thought that was by <laughs> far the best fight in the entire film like everything after to me and i'm jumping to the very end when they go to that place which is basically they go to like ming dynasty china like literally they 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 enter a bamboo forest and they're in like 14th century china after they go to that place and they fight the i don't know the the villains the assassins and then they fight like the the dark dragons oh i just to me it just wasn't fun anymore the fighting style 
lost a lot of its martial arts element and the scale and this is something i think you mentioned previously jumped from a small conflict or a smaller conflict between father and son to this like dark dragon like who the hell is that why do i care about that for me the dragon thing was it was a little over the place and it was i think the the visual aspect of it also really threw me off i was like what? 100%. It, it looks so out of place. E- even the, the light dragon, I guess, looked out of place. I had, it was very, very confusing. It would have... I think it, it makes more sense for them just to sort of duke it out, like, father-son style, instead of fighting this third party. Yeah. But and I mean, talking, like, about the, talking about the father-son aspect, for anyone who remembers, so after Simu or Sean beats... Oh no, he gets beaten by his sister... Mm-hmm. The father comes and tries to find his children and stuff, and they get taken to like this old castle. And from there, I thought the plot just died to a standstill. I was genuinely bored. Like they were locked up, and they ran into like this old British guy who maybe I don't watch Marvel, but who on earth is he? And why? Like he was yeah, funny. This is, I, this is also what like, I kind what, of what is that? This is like the the sort of Marvel. They, they, they do a thing where they... Because, like, a lot of... Okay, the slight tangent, but, like, I watched... I, I saw this tweet. It was like, okay, watching Spider-Man Far From Home at Home isn't the same without hearing, like, the audience cheers. And I'm like... and But, like, that's part of the Marvel Cinematic Viewing Experience. It's, like, having these Easter eggs in it and everyone being in on the joke. And, like, he was in, I think, the third or the fourth Iron Man film. And he... He's... He's not actually the villain. He's like a paid in the film. He's a paid actor. He plays a paid actor, and to to sort of portray this villainous Asian identity called the Mandarin, and like, mm-hmm. and so who's also supposed to be the villain of this film? So like, it's sort of like a, a callback to that Marvel sort of like owning up and saying, okay, like I don't rem- I don't know if you remember the the exact dialogue he had or the the monologue where he's like oh you know i play this this caricature of like an asian which is totally racist by the way and like this is like a little bit of a callback a little bit of an acknowledgement of their of, of their former issues so like if you're in on the joke it's like okay <laughs> do, you, do you understand what i mean like i'm the, not in on the joke but yeah, yes i yeah, get it <laughs> yeah so, so he was in a previous film and he played he in the movie his character was an actor who played the Mandarin. <laughs> so that, 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 that was a joke. But yeah, so mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, I think I think to your point, if I, want, if I just want to talk about my my biggest concern with it, with the, or my biggest qualm about the movie, was that, like, like, from the surface, it's like a very simple, like, hero's journey, right? You know, like, boy goes on adventure, comes back, he's changed. End of story, right? But like, I, I, I didn't think there was much character development there was a note there i didn't see shang chi or like sean struggle with making decisions he doesn't have a training arc he just sort of bumbles his way along he, do, he doesn't make any decisions he doesn't come to realize it like that scene by the water here where he's like yes i'm going to kill my father like what 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 led to that i'm sorry okay wait. actually you you uh, kind of uh, hated your father all along like hello that that was the okay. issue I, I want to jump in for a few things. So you said there was no training montage. See, I disagree because there was a training montage of him as a young boy, which that's actually something I, I really enjoyed. I don't really know why I enjoyed it so much, but I enjoyed the scenes of him as a young kid 
training. I can so agree I think... with that. But, the, but that's in the past. That's like, I mean, if we're to go with my sort of idea of anyone can be Shen Shi, you, unambitious Asian American, like, then there's no training montage from him growing up. But yes, I agree. There, there definitely was a training montage, but not the that character development that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch upon what you said at the at the very end where he's by the water, major spoilers, but you've already been warned that he needs to take out his father with the skills that he was taught by the father. And I think I, I agree with your sentiment where he doesn't really bond with the father. Like he doesn't really like the father. And so when he decides it's not that big of a deal, I think something they could have done to rectify this was imagine if, they they go to the fight club that the sister runs and then they fight and then the father arrives but instead of like destroying the place with his henchmen he comes and he welcomes his son and daughter back as like family members and then they grow some kind of bond and then at the end he reveals his plan which is to destroy this village and do some like i don't know some magical thing and then revive his mom i honestly don't really know 100% because it, you know it didn't really click but that would have been better because he forms the bond and then he decides to break it for greater values. And I think that's what it was missing. Like it wasn't suspenseful when he decided to take out his father. Yes. Yes. I guess this is, this is the point you put it a little better than I did, but um, yeah, this is the point I, I was aiming to make like that. There was none of, there's no big oomph in the decision-making. He kind of like, like you said, like I said, he didn't like his father the whole way. And another issue I had, oh, let's talk about a positive. I thought the rings, the use of the rings as a weapon was really cool. Now, I don't know what the rings are in the comic books. In the comic books, actually, uh, the, he's an Iron Man. He's actually, I would say he's like the one of the Iron Man arch nemeses. And in the rings, they're actually like, in the comic book, they're actually like a lot cooler. They're like, they're just, they give him like psych psychic powers effectively he has like 10 rings they're like the rings you wear on your fingers and like one mm -hmm. of them like gives him like temperature change one of them can make him invisible like powers like that so like he, he he has like he basically has like 10 different superpowers which is really cool but it would have been very difficult to like do exactly it. yeah I, that that's my point like it might have been might have given him a greater variety of powers but for a martial arts film i think like having like, you know, if you give someone 10 Lord of the Rings rings, I think it'd be hard to show in a martial arts film. Like, he <laughs> twists his really, ring and then... really good way of putting it. Lord of the Rings rings. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, No, I agree. I fully agree. I think this was, like, a nice little adaptation. And I think the original... The original Wen Wu Mandarin character was, like, a little bit of a racist Asian caricature as well. So like, Oh, think... not even a little. Like, not... Do you know the backstory to... Like the the Mandarin, like the the Fu Manchu, yes, but I don't think the original comic book character was was the the original was the Fu Manchu guy. It, I I think it was okay. I I I you, once again, I didn't read too much into this. I haven't read the the very old comic books. I've only read sort of the more modern ones. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll talk about the the comic book for a second. Uh, in the original comic. This is at the height of the Bruce Lee craze mm -hmm. in the seventies when he was going around kicking people's asses, and they came out with this comic book to, I guess, take what Bruce Lee was doing and put it into comics. And Shang Chi's father, 
from memory was Fu Manchu, who is a racist caricature symbol of a predatorial Asian. Okay, you're right. You're right. He was the Fu Manchu. The Mandarin was someone different. Okay, I'm getting that a little confused. Yes. Okay.、Mm-hmm. So I guess Marvel conflated two tales. Now, oh man, I wish I did a little bit more research. But the Mandarin is different from the Fu Manchu.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Keep on going. And and for anyone who doesn't know, I'm pretty sure the Fu Manchu, this like character, think of it as a much more racist version of like Karen, right? Like when you say that word, something comes to mind. It's just it's like yellow face, right? Yeah, it's yellow face basically. And that I'm pretty sure that symbol was used to keep Asians out because that was like a warning symbol, like you know, if you allow Asian people to come in, you will get more Fumanchus.、Mm-hmm. And the backstory, and I, I'm pretty sure I've confirmed this, unless my memory is a bit shaky. Fumanchu marries a white British woman and has Shangchi, and he comes out and says he does this. Because he wants to mix his martial arts skill with like superior genetics. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Like I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen screenshots from it, like which show that. And it also plays upon this idea of like the predatorial, like Asian, which was like really pushed、sure. during World War Two、sure. with Japan and those stereotypes. You know, like oh, they will prey on our women, kind of thing. So okay, obviously the film, like. I'm not going to like criticize the film for this because these comic books、uh, were written 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and the film takes a drastically different、uh, position on this.、Mm-hmm. But just want to point out to the audience: there is these ideas that I guess are buried in in this piece of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I think on that note, the the film does a good good job of sort of reversing that and like not sort of not making it that way. And then the the idea of of Ben Kingsley's character, the The that that oh that's his name yeah that was an acknowledgement of their of sort of the errors that they've had in the past so I think the film this film does well on on those some other thing that I thought was really good and this is my favorite part of the film apart from the first ten to fifteen minutes I love Tony I love you yeah, Tony yeah. come on my podcast I love you. <laughs> oh my God, I think <laughs> he, of, yeah I I agree he's great 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 act, actor he's such. A good, like he was by far, like to me, by far the best actor. Like it wasn't even, even close. I remember there's a scene when he's about to rescue his dead wife or resurrect her or something like that, and then he hears her voice or or something, and he looks away, and then he starts crying. He starts like you know tearing up, and then one of his henchmen comes in and says like you know, sir, we've located the village, and he turns around, and you can see the tears in his eyes, but then he obviously needs to drop that and keep his facade of being like cold, badass, you know,、mm-hmm. assassin, and you can from memory like you can see like the tears like dry up in his eyes, and he turns like serious again. I remember just watching that and thinking like this guy. Is such a good actor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I also love Tony Long. I think, actually, once upon a time, I took a picture of him and in the mood for love, and I went to my barber and like, I want this hair.、And、for、Dude. a long time, it had like nineteen thirties Shanghai <laughs> style hair. <laughs> Dude, man, he. Oh, I, I remember. <laughs> this is probably TMI, but I remember like one of the first crushes I ever had. 
she sent me a picture of Tony Leung before I knew who he was, <laughs> before I was into film. And then she's like, dude, this guy's just so like manly. And I still remember <laughs> the words manly. <laughs> I still remember the words she said. And I remember thinking like, damn it, this guy is so much better looking <laughs> than me. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn you, Tony. I low-key jealous. And I I want to mention Tony because he actually, welcome to the Tony Leung fan club. As I was just afterwards just looking, you know, trying to find some images or footages of interviews with Tony. I remember going onto YouTube and then looking in the comment section and someone wrote this. Now, I can't verify this. So audience, mm-hmm. if you don't think it's true, that's okay. But this is what it said. This person went to a restaurant in Hong Kong and then I guess it's a pretty upper class restaurant or it was a pretty wealthy restaurant. But regardless, Tony Leong, Tony Leong came in and then he orders from the waitress and the comment said, Tony Leong started to order and the waitress was so taken aback by his eyes that she just stared at him for 10 seconds without moving, <laughs> without doing anything. And I'm like, you know what? That, I can buy that. that might be yeah, true. I can buy that. I can buy that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I watched a video, I say, I think once upon a time about like how he, in his, in his heyday, he was known as like the man who acted with his eyes. So like, that, I think that was mm-hmm. like a big, a big trope too. Is this accented? cinema perhaps I, I he is one of he i, I do watch uh, accented cinema stuff yeah okay it could be him because he did post a uh video on that and uh, anyway tony leong leong big fan but there is something that i didn't like regarding it wasn't really his character i just guess it was the direction of this film and before i start i just want to go into a quick ramble about you know art and about like fighting in art really the point of a fight scene is not who has bigger muscles or which style of fighting is better it's really a representation of the values that characters hold so a classic reference that i will use from uh red letter media if anyone knows that youtube channel uh, they just review films they uh, big inspiration to why i love film today but they said something which sticks with me when luke skywalker fought Darth Vader it wasn't just two people fighting it was a clash of like ideas of family good evil Jedi Sith redemption love like these values come to your mind or they should come to your mind as these two characters fight so the point of this is the dragon at the end the darkness (laughs) dragon I did not care about this at all because I don't know what this darkness dragon stands for. I don't really care that's, about that's it. Really like point. if you like if you told me this dragon just disappeared, I would say, okay, it doesn't affect the main plot, which is the father-son dynamic. Now, you know, I guess one redeeming note you could say to that is that when Tony Leung realized or his character, I don't know the name of his character, but once Tony's character realized that he was about to die because the dark dragon had eaten him or taken his soul or something, he gives up the rings to his son, basically reaffirming his love for family at his dying breath. Now that, I think, is the only positive takeaway to that section because, I, as I said, I don't care that Simulu beat the dark dragon. I care that he resolved his issues with his father. And I don't think they did it that well. Like, 
when they did come and fight at the very end, they did it for a minute, and then the big dragon comes in and interrupts everything. I don't know. I just, I just got a headache from that section, like a legitimate headache. Like I had to like turn away or close my eyes for a bit because it was just moving too quick. But what do you think about my comments on you know the use of fighting and how it needs to be symbolic for us to care? I think that's a really that's quite insightful, and I think. I mean, it's no surprise that it sort of stuck with you, like like you said. I think, like, w- while you're talking, like, well, you know, one way to think about it, you could think about, like, the, the dark dragon as being, like, evil or, like, the inevitability of death. And I'm like, okay, but, like, that's not what the movie's about. It's not about the inevitab- inevitability of death or, like, not about, like, beating, like, beating death, beating evil, beating time, like, right? It's it's really about that relationship, and that's not addressed in the final fight. So, mm. I, I, th- I, think, I think that's a very good point. See... Uh, on the on fights i guess and their symbolism i thought i guess this is was originally sort of a critique but i don't know have, have you seen a uh, shaolin soccer i have seen shaolin okay. soccer okay like so one of my biggest problems with like the later fight scenes is that like is the entire shang chi when you mean when you mean fight scene you mean like soccer match right no 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 so with 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 with, with shang chi well, wait, did you say Shaolin soccer or did you say Shang Chi? I did. I did. I, said, I did say Shaolin soccer. But like my my biggest one of the, my biggest problems with like later fight scenes mm-hmm. in Shang Chi is like how Shang Chi basically like takes the rings and like sort of uses what I I from my uneducated sort of perspective I perceive to be like a Tai Chi sort of method to like control the rings, redirect them, and bring them under his mm-hmm. own control. Yep. Right? Yeah. Twenty years ago, Shaolin soccer came out clowning the idea of using Tai Chi to bring, like, to return your opponent's energy back at them, which is already, like, a very, very tired trope, I imagine. Because, like, that's that's the point of Shaolin Soccer. It's 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 satire, mm-hmm. right? And and so, like, my, well, my problem is, like, it used a lot of, like, very... Like, a lot of the fights, later fight scenes, were, like, very tired sort of tropes already in the... in terms of, of, of fight scenes or, like, of, of Asian... of Asian films. But but they still stuck to it. So like it was very very painful for me to watch him sort of like redirect the rings <laughs> and bring them under his control. But yeah, sorry, I was kind of tangential. That's a good I, point. I did want to mention it because um, yeah, because because you were talking about the fight scenes. But I I really did I really do agree with what you, what you said. I'm trying to think of like other fight scenes in in, in movie history, and I think very often. Either the villain that they're fighting represents represents a part of society, right? Like you know the sort of upstanding professional fighter, the wealthy upper class, or represents like it represents a certain evil, like like Drago and Rocky, or like and like it's it's a metaphor for something, or it it represents it's a he's a member of a society which doesn't espouse certain values that the main character likes. So yeah, that, that's a good point mm-hmm. about fight scenes. Let's touch on a character that we actually haven't spoken about at all, which I think is quite telling about how I feel or how maybe how we feel about her. The Aquafina character. What did you think? Oh, I love Aquafina. I think Aquafina is the best supporting like actress, like always. She always plays herself. And I think this was one of her like, Less than not her best performance, but like she delivers. This is it. This is this is what she does. She just comes on and does 
pay him off the PR. It's like good. It's like good. How does she have such a raspy you voice? <laughs> How many cigarettes does <laughs> she smoke to get that voice? <laughs> well, according to the her Nora Nora Lum from Queens TV show, she actually vapes, I think. But, uh-huh. um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. Like aside from the farewell, which was obviously a fantastic acting sort of yeah, she was great at that. She just sort of plays, she's sort of typecast in the sort of sidekick role, and that's totally fine. But you know, I, yeah. I I'm going to take a different opinion, and and maybe that's for a good thing because we've been really step by step for majority of this podcast. I did not like her character for a few reasons. Firstly, maybe it's just I'm just bored of Aquafina. Whether it's all her films, apart from as you said, The Farewell, she's basically playing the brash somewhat funny character who <laughs> just you know side character comedic effect so maybe i'm just a little bored of her but i i <laughs> felt the times they did use her it was so unrealistic that once again it broke my immersions now there's a few uh scenes that i'll point to so i'm not just talking in in, in general comments but when she drives the car through the bamboo forest wasn't she like someone who moved luggage at, in, in New York? Like, how did she get this skill? Oh, well, well, she also drove people's sports cars when they weren't looking. Do you remember that? Oh, did, <laughs> did she? Yeah. Do you remember that opening scene where, like, they were... Oh, um, that's true. Okay. Yeah, so there, there was a little bit of a callback. Uh, no, no, but 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 I do agree. Lots of... The, or, like, that where she shoots down the... Okay, that was the, the worst. The dragon. That like, was the worst. <laughs> come on, what man. Is this, Lord of the Rings? Like, Dude, come on. Like... This this person who has no training, no training, literally nothing. And then she, I forgot what dragon she shoots down, but she shoots down this dragon and that's supposed to represent like she has now reconnected with her Asian side or something like that by shooting down this dragon. But It, it was a real girl boss moment. Let me it was a, <laughs> one hell of a girl boss moment. But I, I just felt like those times it, they used her, it just, I just, felt disconnected from the film because like she's a civilian she's a normal civilian using a bow and arrow to take down mythical creatures that's what it was at the end and okay maybe i'm being too harsh in the film you know maybe i'm not used to marvel because the films i watch are like sad boy films like lost in translation or like you know before sunrise like it's these sad films where people like the the the, the the pinnacle of the conflict is like two people disagreeing like that's the films i watch okay so maybe i'm not used to this trope but uh, yeah like i said i, I think aquafina i don't know i just wasn't a big fan to be honest yeah yeah i mean i think like that's also something a marvel does right like it they take away a lot of the i don't know if gravita is the word or like they just they take away a lot of the oomph of the moments for like a cheap little burst of humor oh and like horrible and, and like i'm not saying this is this is aquafina but like i kind of like i think aquafina is representative of that we're like instead of doing something truly epic they like they're like they, they suddenly decide to be self-aware and be like Hee-hee. they cool. always deconstruct the moment yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it it just feels cheap like that yeah. anyway once again i don't think it's aquafina's fault i think it's a marvel no. issue but I agree. still, it's like that's the thing. It's never. It's not Simu's fault. It's not Aquafina's fault. It's like this movie was. That's just the way this movie is written. You can't really expect too much out of out of something 
like like a Marvel movie. And like even as a Marvel movie came and go and went, and I didn't think it was spectacular for a Marvel movie, but mm-hmm. it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. And he's he's another idea that I want to bring up, and I think you touched upon this previously, but let's go into a little more more depth of this. When they enter the bamboo forest and they basically come out the other side, as I said, they they go back in time and it's like 14th century Ming Dynasty China. So <laughs> when when they do that, I think it's quite telling, and I'd like to hear your response, that if you compare these superhero films to Spider-Man Spider-Verse, I think that's the name of it. Uh, it's an animated Spider-Man animated film. Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. And I thought the... Uh, see audience i don't only watch sad boy films okay i, I watch this stuff as well <laughs> but i thought that film was like excellent and i thought the comedy was just on point i thought it was really 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 enjoyable but what's interesting is and, and maybe i'm reading too much into it so please if you really think so you know give counter arguments to, to what i'm saying but it's interesting that like in order for simulu to i guess become better he escapes to fictional China. He escapes to Asia. Whilst on the other hand, with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, these stories are very centered in American or Western cities. And I think the implication, and once again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, is that Asian Americans still, for whatever reason, and maybe you could say they have a stronger cultural link because a lot of I don't know, African Americans were brought to America hundred years hundreds of years ago. I see I'm not even mm-hmm. sure if that's true, uh, because I'm not American, so maybe you know I'm maybe what I'm saying is incorrect. But yeah, like a like a couple hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, but I think like this I think that idea that Simulu can escape to China implies that in the American consciousness Asians, or maybe specifically Chinese Asians, or Chinese Chinese Americans, they see them as more connected with their Asian origins and less "quote unquote" American. What do you think about that? I think I mean I, I sort of brought up this point in the beginning. I some people take big issue to it. I take like slight issue to it. I think because like I had like I went back to China in the first year of my summer at college and I had like a really good time. I really did, you know, reconnect with my roots, whatever the whole deal. And so I, I don't think it's entirely inappropriate, but in terms of your, your question to your point of the, the sort of what it says about the American consciousness and the culture and that idea. And I think that is, that is certainly true. I think that there is this idea that like, well, yeah, because for example, African-Americans, they don't, they, they, they speak English. They, they, they don't they don't speak, for, for lack of a better term, some African language, right? They, they, they're African-Americans. They were born here, brought here, born here to be slaves. And they they have, they were forcibly ripped from their roots. So if they're, they're they, they are American, you can't, sending them back to Africa would be like, there'd be no way. Mm-hmm. And whereas for, once again, as an Asian-American, having grown up here, I don't think I would fare very well in, in Asia or in China either. But for, I think for a lot of people, it's a lot more conceivable, this mm-hmm. notion. And I, I think this is certainly true. My main comment was more on what it says in the American consciousness that this is a possibility compared to, I haven't watched this, but 
maybe they do something similar in Black Panther, so maybe my comment is actually well, not correct. Well, Black Panther is actually Black Panther is actually really interesting because the villain is an African American, and Black Black Panther T'Challa is is actually is like African African. He's like an African prince. Mm-hmm. See, I haven't watched I haven't watched the film. All I all I know about it, and, and you know, if you think it's relevant, please keep talking about it. But all I know about it is that like. After it came out for like three months, I had a friend who kept posting like Wakanda on his Instagram. Like this is what Africa and black people look like without colonialism sort of. See that, see, that would have been more interesting. He would just like post a picture of himself and then he would add the caption Wakanda or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But um, yeah, go, if you see a, a link between Black Panther and, and Shang-Chi, please go ahead. I mean, I think... No, no, I, I, there's, I have nothing, nothing super constructive else to say. It's just to, to your point of immigrants in the West will go back to their home country over the summer, over the winter, over whatever holidays they have. And that never happens with African-Americans because mm-hmm. they don't really have a country to go back to per se. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think, I mean, African-Americans are, are a, they are a, a, a niche case because they were brought here. Mm-hmm. But and I think most other immigrant groups will, regardless if it's an Asian or not, I don't think it's a it's particular endemic to to the Asian immigrants will experience this sort of, the sort of oh you know like, where are you from sort of sort of question. I don't think it's necessarily just an Asian thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's certainly an immigrant thing, but not for Asians more than anything else. And maybe I'm harping upon this point too much, or maybe we've discussed this. I think we actually have talked about this. Do you think it's relevant um i'm sure we've touched upon this point in a previous podcast but i do think it is it's interesting that compared to films like joy luck club where the point is to assimilate into american society there has been there seems to be like a flurry of of new films where they the main characters asian characters they will go to asia whether it's the farewell or crazy rich asians where they go to singapore or even Simu Lu Shang-Chi, where they, as I said, they go to like Ming Dynasty China. Like there's almost a in the Amer- in the Asian American consciousness, now no longer American consciousness, the Asian American consciousness, the escape or the move back to Asia to reconnect with one's roots seems to be more of a dominant theme than what it was in the 80s and 90s with like Joy Luck Club. So what do you think about that? Um I think, yes, you've certainly brought it up before. And now I think I my perspective is a little bit different. I think in the past when we've had this discussion, I was very adamant that like, well, yes, but I don't think that's sort of, that represents the cultural consciousness of Asian Americans. But now I do think, once again, I use the term Asian American broadly. I think we, I've had this caveat earlier, but I just like Asians in the West, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Australia included as well as Europe. But but now I think that it certainly is true. I think that going back to Asia is a is sort of for you know that one extended trip as an adult. That's not not like going back with your family. It's like going back and discovering Asia for yourself is is a very important sort of experience for every Asian American. Like for me it certainly was. And I think that perhaps perhaps you're right. Perhaps that that these are now featured heavily in this sort of media represents that. Mm. I, I, I don't think this means necessarily that, that it, like for a lot of them, like, I don't know, Crazy Rich Asians, Shang-Chi, 
What what are some of the other ones? The farewell. Mm-hmm. What, what else comes to mind? Tiger Tail. They Tiger they Tail, also like, go back to Asia, China, I think. Right, right, Taiwan, I think. Like that, those are all. Like they do come back though, right? That's the thing. Like they go they go to Asia and they decide that Amer- I actually like the West. Not crazy rich Asians, right? In, Not in crazy in what, rich Asians. In crazy rich Asians, they come back. Yeah. Do they? Well. She decides that like this crazy rich Asian thing isn't for her, and she comes back. Okay, I guess you're right. She she stays for a little bit. He proposes, but like, I guess we don't. Okay, okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. In my head, she decides that this Asian thing isn't for her, and she decides to come back. But she does end up staying a little. But bit. yeah, oh, but she but doesn't the 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 mom relent at the end, and then she she yes. gets accepted into the community. But regardless, I think that's an interesting point, and you know this is why we talk about art like this. Um, what are the implicit values or the subconscious understanding that we should receive from art and i think my previous point was correct that a lot of asians because of economic reasons or you know cultural reasons or whatever it is they see asia as a more viable option for a holiday or just to understand themselves better on the other hand so and this is shown in a lot of the films that we've mentioned previously on the other hand i think your comment is also correct where in the American, the Asian American consciousness or the American consciousness, it's this idea of you can go back and visit, but a lot of times you end up coming back to what you are familiar with anyway. And I think that's also mm-hmm. true. But I think a big point, uh, a big difference is previously that option of actually checking out another place wasn't really available because I think the main idea was assimilation and 100% assimilation. I, I agree. I think... Yeah, like, sorry, I, I didn't, I neglected to mention this, but I agree with your point about the assimilation. And now that the, yeah, I agree fully with that. And now the idea is, okay, we can go back and visit and like sort of maintain the duality of this identity. Whereas hypothetically in the, in the older generation, if you immigrated in like the 80s or in the 90s, you just wanted to be American. You wished you were white, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to be putting words in anyone's mouth. That sounds pretty aggressive to say if you wished you were white, but like, yeah, you, you, you sort of understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I, I say this as a as a teacher who teaches, I guess, the the young generation. I see a lot of students who, Asian students, particularly East Asian, and, and I think that's because of the economic reasons, who see returning back to Japan or Korea or wherever, I think they see that as a legitimate lifestyle or a legitimate road and that, even in compared to when I was in high school, that was never, ever, ever brought up. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the difference, whether it's because the art is appealing, you know, I don't know, K-pop presents Korea in a really cool light and people want to go back mm-hmm. or Koreans want to go back. Maybe that's part of it. So it's, it's, you know, it's not always an economic reason. It could be like a cultural reason or like an artistic reason. Mm-hmm. But whatever the reason is, if I compare my high school experience and i'm not that much older than these students compared to what some of the students that i've taught or am teaching how they deal with the the asian question you know or the place of origin question i think it's totally different and i've had students come up to me and say like asian like east asian students say i want to you know become a teacher i want to become blah 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 and blah 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 and i want to move back to korea like i've heard that like multiple times. And I think I think that's telling. And I think that cultural consciousness 
is shaping the art that we consume. And I think that's why for Crazy Rich Asians or Farewell, there is always return back to Asia. And granted, your point is, I, I also think it's correct. The option of returning is still is still there. So th- that's not to say like they cut off their American or their Western roots completely, but that road trip, that trip abroad wasn't really seen as uh, positive or, or necessary mm-hmm. previously. Mm-hmm. Actually, on, on that note, I, w- I, want, I want to know your opinion on whether you think these, these people, these students can can return to Asia and be comfortable and be successful? I think they can. Maybe I'm optimistic. So the cultural, like, okay, so usually the, the Asians who say this, they have a cultural link to to Asian countries. So like they speak the language at home or they watch the art or whatever it is. So they already have some sort of link already. Do I think they can be successful? Okay, Asia Asia, and, you know, the Asian working environment is noticeably different. I think in terms of economic opportunities that there is quite a lot of economic opportunities there, I think, especially if you're like white-collared and skilled. And the world is still shaped by America and the British, you know, the British Empire enough that if you're an Asian and you speak English well, fluently, and you have these skills. I think you can return to Asia fairly well and, and and expect like a white collar job. So in that sense, I would say yes because the ability to speak English is still sought after today. Okay. What do you think? You you can disagree, yeah. but what do you think? Yeah, no, because in my experience, I think it's. I mean, I think I speak mainly from like the mainland Chinese perspective, and mm-hmm. obviously, mainland China is going is huge on the. China number one, we don't need Western, Western X, Y, Z. Like we, we, we don't need American things that much anymore. But like, but I, I think that's, that's different to like, I, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think when they say mm-hmm. that they, they're really talking about like Western, you know, and, and I, I don't think this is a good thing. So I'm not supportive of this, but I think they think like Western in terms of Western faces, but if you're Asian and once again, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but if you're Asian mm-hmm. and you're returning I think they see it as like, oh, the prodigal son has returned. Yes. So, so in my experience, from what I've I've sort of felt and heard and seen, it's like it's very much different now. Where previously, if you were, you know, if you were if you were ABC and you brought back essentially business or te- technological sort of knowledge back to Asia, you would be welcomed back with open arms. Like you're bringing back a lot of information, a lot of experience, et cetera, et cetera. But now with an increasing number of international students going abroad to study and then coming back, coming back with obviously not an excellent, but a passable degree of English and what what they perceive to be just understanding of the Western experience. And they can do use English in a business setting, not only English in a business setting, but also use their native language for in this context, Chinese in a business setting and, and effectively like, and be much more comfortable with the with the Chinese culture. I think that they don't they no longer from once again from my experience. I think that the companies and individuals in China no longer feel that they need they need this sort of Western experience. And like like for me personally, I I speak Chinese at home. I would not I would consider myself fluent in Chinese. Like I have no if you left me in China, I would have no problem getting by, finding my way around. But 
there's no way I'd be able to conduct any sort of business meeting in Chinese. I wouldn't be able to talk about art or politics in Chinese. I just simply lack the vocabulary because it wasn't used at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and similarly with these, if you, if these, from my experience, if these American born Chinese or these Western, if these children of Western immigrants were to go back to Asia, they would not be able to integrate more like beyond the point of a, of just an expat. You just be, you would be an expat and that wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, Asian societies are still like super developed. Their cities are super great, but like you would, you wouldn't be making that many local friends. Yeah. I guess it's hard for me to say because I haven't done it yet. And the students who have brought this to my attention haven't done it yet. I think you make a good point and maybe we'll end on this. Do you think this idea for kind of rejecting or not rejecting is the wrong word but not being so infatuated with the western experience or abcs american or you know western born chinese or you know asians doesn't matter do you think that's a china chinese thing because because of the political uh, tensions i can see why both sides both america and china have been like no you know we are closing the borders and I don't think this is a good thing, by the way, but we are <laughs> stopping the cultural exchange. But do you think this is seen in Japan and Korea? Yeah. What do you think? I think to a lesser degree, but but certainly. I think I think previously when the East was just less powerful culturally, economically, militarily, there was a lot of, for lack of a better term, like white worship. Mm-hmm. And I think increasingly as... Yeah, as they gain their footing and there's a little bit more pride in their own culture. And once again, the sort of nationalism isn't necessarily a good thing, but I, and I think it is also most present in China, but I think it's, it is also existent in the rest of the Asian countries. You know what? I, I think this is an interesting comment and it sort of challenges what I previously thought. I agree with your your comments. I think China is obviously the one who's doing it the most, but I would say, and this is the great irony, as Asia, particularly East Asia, only because of economic reasons, develops and becomes more of a cultural powerhouse or economic powerhouse as they're able to ship their art abroad and sell images or their understanding to the world, more Asians in the West will see that as an escape route or see that as a chance to reconnect with a site that they haven't reconnected with, that they're a little distant with. But the more attractive Asia becomes because of economic opportunities or or the art, the less Asia wants or needs these ABCs to come back, these Western-born Asians or Chinese or whatever, because they are more culturally proud of themselves and they're less willing to, as you said, white worship, uh, which is a big problem or big issue previously. I think I think that's a great irony. Huh. Yeah, uh, the more powerful it becomes, the more attractive it becomes for, for Asians you know, in the West, but also the more self-reassured it is and the least likely it is to look outside for wisdom. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think when... Like when I talk, because I, once again, I was in China for the f- first summer, for the first summer of college or the f- my first college summer. And um, what year was that? Was that before the trade war? 
2015 summer. Yep, definitely before the trade war. Okay. But yeah, so that was, I mean, like I met people through varying, varying degrees of people who've been there for like Asian Americans who've been there for 10 years, but Asian Americans who just got there. And it's just increasing, like the people who got there when they were very welcomed and very much in demand are now doing very well for themselves. They arrived at a time when, when China still wasn't like super developed. It wasn't a sick, very clean, very high tech city to live in. Right. Mm -hmm. And they, they didn't necessarily want to be there so much as the economics of it made sense for them to be there. Mm -hmm. And now when the environment is better, like you said, when there is more cultural pull, the economics don't make sense anymore. Mm. So yeah, I do agree. Oh, well, Hey, well, we went from talking about Kate Blanchett to Greek gods, <laughs> to Aquafina, to Fu Manchu. Oh, uh, to see Mulu, and now we ended it with a political and economic discussion about <laughs> Asia and the, ch the changing role of Asia in the world. So thank you for, you know, sticking by and allowing me to share a lot of my, my opinions. Uh, Simu Lu and Shang-Chi has been one that I wanted to, you know, talk about for a while, but I thought because of how popular it was and my perspective on Simu, so not on Simu Lu, on Shang-Chi wasn't that positive. I thought, you know, let's not rain on the parade just yet. Let's give it a few months when people have sort of forgotten about it or don't care as much. And yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts. Yeah, no, no, this is great. I love talking about the Asian American experience and like even from today, just learning about your thoughts and yeah, no, there, there's some, you made some very good points today that I think I'll take with me for sure. So mm. anything else you want to end with Chris? No, no, no. Hopefully I'll be here again. So, <laughs> you know, no, my, knowing the fact that no one else wants to come on this podcast, I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a safer lock, Chris. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Hey man, take it easy. And we'll talk soon, bro. Okay. Peace. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.